In this episode of the Philly Blunt, we sit down with the elusive Philly Inquirer food critic, Craig LeBan. Craig is probably the most powerful person in the Philly food scene, as his reviews can often make or break a restaurant. Few folks have had the opportunity to sit face-to-face with Craig for an interview. Why he agreed to meet with us, we have no idea, but we are grateful nonetheless. After intense negotiations over a few weeks, he agreed to meet with us in person at a secret location and only if the use of phones was prohibited. Craig offers insight into who he is as a person, what he's looking for in a restaurant, his process for reviews, his take on the current Philly food scene, his uses of disguises, as well as dropping nugget after nugget of valuable information for dining around Philly. This is a must listen for anyone who dines out. And he survived a round of the Philly Blunt, barely. If you like this episode or any of our episodes, please do us a solid and press the extra couple of buttons to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. All of that helps spread the word to others so they can find us. Also, tell your friends about us on your socials and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all as the Philly Blunt. Please enjoy this very special episode with Philly food critic Craig LeBan. Hello and welcome to the Philly Blunt. My name is Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. Yo, this is Greg. And uh, we're very excited about this week's show. We have a uh, highly esteemed guest, Craig LeBan, from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Some, some people don't s- We say LeBan, and I am really, really glad to be here. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, yeah. For, <laughs> thanks for a lot of work. You guys. It was heavy negotiations. Yeah. Uh, we had to do all this secret details. It's a secret location we're at. We had to turn right. our iPhones in, our phones in, our right, Androids. Right, 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 right. Yeah. right. so... You know, part of your life is kind of, it's almost like you're in the witness protection program. Yeah, yeah, we try that. We try to remain uh, pretty pretty low-key. How does that feel? Because it's got to be a, you, you have a certain amount of, of prestige and power, but you're not allowed to, 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 you have to have a certain level of autonomy. Like, what's that like for you? Well, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and this, mm-hmm. when I got started, uh, being an anonymous critic was sort of mm-hmm. standard operating procedure. And, uh, you know, you try to go in and out of restaurants to be uh, as unnoticed as possible. You're really Mm -hmm. trying to capture the experience that, you know, a regular reader would have. Mm -hmm. So you realize very quickly that it's in everybody's interest to try and figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, at at, at some point you you do your best. You always do your best. And then at some point you just got to live your life. And Philly's a small town. Yes. And I live in town, and I have a family, and then you start having interactions with people at school, right. and you know, right. at some you have to create a dividing line for yourself that's acceptable. You say, "Listen, I'm going to live life with, and, and be a Philadelphian with my family, and then I'm going to do my job as best as I can." Right. And so, uh, you know, I'm discreet. Mm-hmm. I take as many precautions as possible, but uh, you know, unless you're going to go get plastic surgery, you know, regularly, uh, there's only so many things about yourself you can change on a on a on a weekly, monthly basis, let alone going out, you know, 300 times a year. Right. So you go out 300 times a year for work. Yeah. Do you still enjoy going out when you're not working? I love it. It's, it's, it's become, you know, this is a lifestyle job. Mm-hmm. You know, you really, it's journalism first, you know, and, uh, but I work a lot and, you know, this is my reporting, going out to eat and being in restaurants. And um, over a course of time, you know, it's, it, you know, very few jobs are built around daily rituals mm-hmm. like eating mm-hmm. and if you do it long enough and intensely enough and you make it a part of your life it's, 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 it becomes natural and second nature 
So um, I am just not one of these food critics who's tired or blasé or jaded. Uh, you still going ex- you're still excited about doing the work? So excited because mm-hmm. I live in such a dynamic and exciting mm-hmm. place where there's so much passion. This is like mm-hmm. a this is like covering a sport, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. This is part it's really of really blown up the scene here lately. I was too. just going to say it. Not well, lately. since, uh, since like, you got here, I mean, I've been here. Ways, yeah. I've been here 21 years, and from the day I got here, it has just been getting better and more interesting, mm-hmm. and dynamically changing and growing in in a way that uh, very few, I think, beats at the newspaper have consistently seen sort of a uh, a rise mm-hmm. in energy and quality and. Uh, material that I've been a- I've been sort of blessed with a- being able to cover. Well, what do you think enabled the city to have this boom? What was it that caused Philadelphia to go? When you got here in '98, there was only a handful of restaurants, handful of pubs, and now it's one of the world class eating and drinking cities in the country. You know, my theory has always been it's sort of an economic situation. If you look at where Philadelphia is mm-hmm. on the East Coast, between you know Washington D.C. and New York, and for the longest time that was like the chip on our shoulder. Mm-hmm. That was we were overlooked. And that turned out to be a really good thing mm-hmm. because Philadelphia remains, in my play, in my opinion, the mm-hmm. best place to live a city, urban, ex, you know, exciting urban life on the on the Hands east coast. Because mm-hmm. we can afford to live here and partake in all the cultural things mm-hmm. that Philadelphia has to offer in the way that you cannot in New York City. Mm-hmm. You cannot in Washington, D.C. in the same way. There's not the same sort of local character and spirit and coherence yeah. to it. There's, mm-hmm. there's no there's no quizzo host that can live in six blocks of Rittenhouse <laughs> <laughs> in oh, New God, York City. No, no. There's, there's no you're quizzo. In, you're in, you're in New York, you're in, you're in Hoboken. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're yeah, not but hanging it, out right But it does say a lot about the city that you are a major celebrity in this town. You are. I mean, how many yeah. cities can the Quizzo guy be yeah. like a, yeah. a major personality? Yeah. Right. And that's our charm, right? Right. So, but I think what's happened is, you know, as 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 the national trend of sort of embracing food as this, you know, uh, this craft and this sort of constant sort of improvement um, and this love of cuisine and you know expressing ourselves through food has grown nationally. A lot of people have kind of looked at Philadelphia as a place where they can come and establish themselves at an affordable price. So we have gotten this all these things, you know, the BYOB movement is unique to Philadelphia. Um, and you have young restaurateurs who are able to open up a 35-seat little bistro for, for not a whole lot of money and uh, really, you know, plant their flag. And that has sort of cycled, and then you've got gastropubs, and you've got, um, you know, the Steven Star machine has generated so many, so much talent and great, you know, great restaurants for the city. And it's sort of become this cycle where those, those kinds of venues are perfect to help, you know, uh, open up new neighborhoods, uh, or not new neighborhoods, but sort of rethink old mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Right. And as the city has kind of grown economically, mm-hmm. um, the restaurants have sort of paced it. Right. And so we've seen, we've seen. I've uh, seen people, yeah. people gravitate towards neighborhoods because of the cool na- restaurant and bar. Exactly. Passion, because I'm from South, lived in South Philly for the last 15 years, and I was around Passion when it was just you know a strip with some stores, and now it's like. I was there a couple weeks ago. I was like, I can't believe what has happened. It's all because of the food and the restaurants and the and, bars. And Pashuk's fascinating because it's a cycle, right? So, like, mm-hmm. Pashuk's had many lives. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time in the in the 60s and 70s where it was the main corridor of all of South Philly, you know, Italian mm-hmm. South right, Philly, right. you know, commerce. And then you sort of have these sort of dips and then you have this sort of resurgence, which is so beautiful because, you know, coming from, from suburban Detroit, I saw a city 
crash, mm-hmm. right. really crash, mm-hmm. and then Detroit's kind of starting to come back a little bit now, but it has so much farther to go than right. Philly ever did. Mm-hmm. Right. We reclaimed, you know, we have never relinquished our sort of city birthright as a, as a vibrant sort of place, but mm-hmm. the, the restaurants are the new expression of the, of the current spirit. What, mm-hmm. did, uh, what did Philly get right that Detroit got wrong, at least in a food sense, but on a bit larger scale if... if you know well there's just so, they're just such different cities you know i was born in 1968 right around the race riots mm-hmm. right and the 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 sort of white flight that left the city um, polarized polarized the community there in such a dramatic way i think there was certainly suburban white flight you know all across the country including including philadelphia mm-hmm. right but um, the East Coast, you know, the, the mass transit system allowed people to sort of live in Philadelphia. I mean, all the things that sort of make it such a great, you know, city being on the East Coast, um, you know, it, it, it managed to sort of take those body blows, mm-hmm. um, you know, of those or of those bigger forces and sort of be resilient, you know. And plus, Detroit's also a single industry town. So, right. you know, we rose and fall on, on the auto industry in very right. dramatic ways. And they're trying to, you know, reinvent themselves now. Philly's been a very diverse. It's such a diverse city of industry and people mm-hmm. that uh, it was. It's special, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's taken its punches, and I and we're back, and we're better than ever, awesome. and we're becoming we're becoming something something new and unique and special. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think the um, auto industry? Um had influence in Detroit to limit mass transit just because it was so car-based, auto-based? That's my understanding. Yeah. So I, I grew up around 18 Mile in Woodward. So like Woodward is sort of like our broad, was like Broad Street mm-hmm. in Detroit. And there was, there was a, uh, there was a transit line that used to run up, up out, out towards the northwest suburbs and that was removed. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, you know, with the intention of creating Detroit as a car culture. Right. And, you know, you can drive around Detroit. It's like you're kind of born with four wheels, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a car town. Absolutely. You know, in, in Philadelphia, I ride my bike everywhere. Sure. <laughs> yeah, or I absolutely. take SEPTA. Right. Yeah. And right. it's so walkable, yeah. too. I mean, yeah. Philadelphia is, totally. I mean, it's one of the most walkable we're cities very, in the country. We have a very different, helps. such a different personality absolutely. from Detroit. You're brave on the bike. I mean, there's, you have to have enemies around town. <laughs> I was going to. I always veer, I veer far from the bread truck. You know? <laughs> I was going to get to that Julia next. Julia Silvert so. on, the, on, the, on the starboard side. <laughs> I was going to ask that next because obviously you've, you know, um, you've, you've, been able to help a lot of people but also I'm sure like your your critiques or whatever have ruffled some feathers have you had confrontations over the years uh, due to, to, to reviews uh, you know I've had people take a, take objection to things that I've written but nothing like sure. serious like they were trying to physically uh, harm you you know I'm gonna <laughs> knocking on wood lift up, uh, that, lift up that cloth get right on the wood yeah here we go um, you know listen this is uh, I take everything you know in, in one level, you know, you're writing about food, you're writing about dinner. It doesn't seem very serious. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, uh, the responsibility for what I do, I take very, mm-hmm. very seriously mm-hmm. uh, on all accounts. You know, my number one priority is my readers. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I'm telling people where to go spend money mm-hmm. out, din- out to dinner for a special evening or just mm-hmm. a regular, you know, weekday meal with a family. Mm-hmm. And you're talking hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. for that one decision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I have a if I have a review that's in the Sunday Inquirer and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people can see one thing you write, the, the ripple effect economically of that is vast. And I'm spending people's money for them mm-hmm. by giving them what I hope is good, independent, you know, serious advice and reliable. And you prove yourself over many years mm-hmm. um, to readers to be hopefully fair and consistent so they mm-hmm. know what they're going to get from you. On the flip side of that, um, 
I think it's important. It's always been important to me to be very fair and consistent with mm. the people I cover because mm. I respect that this is. I've never their, read anything from you that felt mean spirited. If that, if that, that mm-hmm. that's that's consistent with my <laughs> mo. I mean, I'm talking about the. I'm always very focused on on the experience that's in front of me, the food, mm. and there's certainly stories. The stories behind behind the restaurants, the people, you know, their aspirations. Because every restaurant's got an individual story to tell, and people are inevitably, you know, they're part of that fabric um and so i do understand if things don't go well with dinner um i'm always honest you know nothing you know i don't sugarcoat anything because there's a certain expectation um when you're paying for dinner but uh it's always about the food for me it's 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 never uh, you know i don't have personal relationships with people that Mm -hmm. i take out and print because that would be irresponsible Mm -hmm. and i'm aware that you know people's livelihoods depend um, in some measure about what people are saying about their, their restaurants. For sure. So you you said once, you said before, my reviews are never influenced by any friendships or personal dislikes because I have none. Now, how is that possible? You've been here 21 years. You're circulating in the restaurant and bar scene almost every night of the week. Yeah. How is that possible to do that without having friendships in that business? I just don't. I just, you know, I, you know there, I have professional relationships with people that I've covered for for 20 years. I, there are people I've talked to on the phone, you know, for a long time. And you just can't, you know, as a journalist, you have sources. You, you cannot confuse them with friendships. I don't hang out with people, you know, after, um, after I'm done with dinner. I don't go get drinks with people. I don't meet them at secret locations and celebrate holidays with people, anything like that. You know, I have a whole world of friends and family outside of outside of the restaurants mm-hmm. and so i res- i'm i'm not one of these rude rude guys if you came up to me at a restaurant <laughs> and said you know mr laban you know blah 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 you know i'm i'll talk to you mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and i'll be as courteous as possible and, and actually have a real conversation because mm-hmm. That's re- I'm, you know gotta be, we got to be real with you're people. You're a Philadelphian. Right? That's yeah, why. you got to be real with people <laughs> but at the same time don't confuse uh, a courteous and interested conversation because I'm an interested journalist in what people have to say with with me being your friend. Mm. When you've been at restaurants and without without them actually coming out and saying it, have you sensed like okay they know I'm here because they're, they're the going all above and beyond? No, it happens all the time, and you feel <laughs> they're like bringing out the food. You know? well, no, the, well, they have a different person. They have, they have a whole. There's a I have friends. They in have the a restaurant Le, business. Le bon guy. Oh yeah, well, wow, not, well, they have a guy. that's powerful, man. Well, they have people that when they recognize who he is, they have a protocol. They go to the manager. The manager gets the, the certain best chef server, to work right, on the right, meal. Right, they right, get right. the best server. Yeah, and you know what? Table. Half the time, those those meals take forever. To and get you're the like, food I, the I, I just give me the regular because <laughs> they're cooking it three times, and by the time it gets to the table, it's cold because they've been you know putting little tweezer sprigs of things. <laughs> it almost always backfires. You know, the the great Washington Post critic Phyllis Richmond used mm-hmm. to say when when she was in the, a restaurant and they knew she was there, she didn't get better service; she just got more. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's at a certain level, you know, I'm aware when you know you are aware of the stairs. You're aware of like, whoa, where did that person who like, greeted <laughs> us go? All of a sudden, they you never see them. They're they're, they're in the back. Um, you you do sense you do sense when things change subtly, uh, but the big things, the things that I think I inevitably sort of get to over the course of uh, a few visits, mm-hmm. and by being a good reporter and paying attention <coughs> to what's going on around me. They they're hard to change. Mm-hmm. They're hard to change. Right. I don't I don't feel like there have been many places where um, they swapped out something in mm-hmm. a, in a manner that has really altered the right. the nature of the review right. in the end. 
what is your process? What is the process? How do you pick the restaurants? And then what's the process of visiting how many times? And then Sure. Well, first of all, um, I'd say about 75 to 80% of the restaurants that I write about are new restaurants because we have such a churn here. Not so much of restaurants closing, but mm-hmm. it seems like there's just new ones constantly opening. <laughs> Crazy. And those are the things that people really want to see most in those initial Sunday reviews. So I typically will wait a couple months. And then I look at my at my you know my schedule, and I try to come up with the best what I think is a really good mix of restaurants. Mm. I do you know all kinds of neighborhoods, all kinds of styles. Um, one of Philadelphia's great strengths is its diversity of flavors, mm. and and uh, I th- that's how I like to eat. Mm. And so then then they get on the calendar, and then they've got at least two large visits mm. uh, for dinner. Uh, are the you know the core of every Sunday review? <clears throat> I do a lot of meals that are just you know one-off meals that go into smaller features or bigger trend mm-hmm. pieces or things like that. I'm always sort of out there scouting to see see what it was what I might like to to get to. But once the restaurant's on, they'll get two large dinners. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll cover like almost the whole menu. I'll mm-hmm. take some people with me okay. and we'll, we'll order a lot of food, which mm-hmm. the inquirer always pays for. I was going to, that was one of my questions. Yeah. How, how does that work? They just, you just yeah. bring them the bill or you, um, yeah, give you I submit expenses like, okay. like a right. regular, you know, yeah. person yeah. submitting yeah, yeah, expenses yeah, yeah, yeah. to their, to their office. That's and, awesome. Uh, that's, that's, that. I'm really more. greedy, man. So I'm just picturing like, damn, man, you can eat and they pay for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, everybody says that until they start coming along with me, you know, for like literally 500 restaurant meals a year. Right, right, right. And right, then right. you don't just eat it. You know, you got to take notes. Right. You got to do the interviews. You got to right, do the photo right, assignment. And right. then you got to write it. You right, know, and the writing, right. you know, I, the writing is the, that reporting is, uh, I love the whole process. You know, mm-hmm. I love being out in the world, um, experiencing sort of life uh, in a city that's kind of on the rise. It's a great privilege to do that but once again you got to come back and sort of translate that for your readers mm. and tell them what it means and sort of you know paint that picture mm. so you're sharing a certain voyeuristic experience mm-hmm. with people because a lot of people won't go to these restaurants that you're writing about some people will mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of put it in perspective and talk about all the kind of interesting things that that might weave into that story and you do a phone. You you do a phone call for clarification. Yeah, so sometimes. typically I'll go to the restaurants. You know, and sometimes it's three times. You know, and sometimes it's a lunch. Not all places. A lot of places are not open for lunch. But I'm sort of layering at any time four to five different restaurants are at different stages in the process. And then after I'm done, I will then call a restaurant. Say you're being reviewed. Uh, let's set up a telephone interview, and those interviews can go for two hours. Wow. And we'll go over. You know, it's a feature story interview where I'm asking them about who they are and why they open a place and uh, but then we'll go over every dish so they, tell, they know if they're getting trashed or no they gonna, do not they don't they can't no, tell by I won't questions. tell anybody anything wow I, I ask all the questions but I they, mean they ask me every time and I say I'm sorry I can't tell you that wow because you know what um, even if it's a great review no matter what you say it's never going to be good enough for them until right. they hear you know mm. the rating or whatever it is uh, and really, we just have a good conversation, and I just want to learn about them. And um, I learn about how they cook everything. Mm. I ask about the drink program, uh, you know, just a regular reporter kind of process. And, and then I, there's a photographer, that, a professional photographer that I'll visit, 
and then I'll write the review. Man, you're cold blood. You're like an assassin. You just do a phone call. You know you give maybe one bell or zero bells. And you just do a phone call, a casually interviewing them. Could the phone call change the bell number? Could you have an okay meal, but the, you like the owner so much that you're like, ah, I was leaning no. between one and two. I'll go two. <laughs> no, no, okay. not really. I'll gain more insight on, on what's going on in a dish mm. or what's going on. Um, but again, you you got to be careful how you ask the questions because you, you don't want anything to turn into like a negotiation. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like so-and-so didn't show up that day because his mom right. was really mm-hmm. sick. And, right. you know, again, it's all about the final experience. In the end, it's mm-hmm. the, the final experience that you get right. that that your reader's going to get. Mm-hmm. You know? how, how much does uh, atmosphere, decor play a part in the, to your reviews? It plays a part. I mean, mm-hmm. those that's part of the experience. Mm-hmm. I, I would say like, you know, Philadelphia in general um, compared to other cities, which may be wealthier, or there's more money that goes into to restaurants in other cities like New York or Washington, um, y- you know, we're we're kind of a down to earth town. You know, like I'm just as happy in a very plain little 35 seat BYOB where there's a chef in the back cooking his heart out as I am in the latest sort of Steven Star production where mm. there's this beautiful, but I appreciate that decor. Right, right, right. You know, and that'll enhance, I would say that, you know, a really thoughtful sort of environment can make up for some deficiencies, you know, in in the food, but not, the food has to be there. Right. For, me to, for me to really um, get to that two bell, mm. very good recommendation. Mm. Yeah, my wife turned me on to like the lighting. I never thought about that when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And then we would go, and especially it seems like restaurants in the suburbs never have the lighting right. <laughs> restaurants in the city seem to have figured out. We, like once she told me that, then I started looking around and noticing it before I didn't. But like, it was it was interesting because then we'd start going places and that's like the first thing that we would do. You know, I, I don't thing, like the light. Let's get the, out yeah, yeah, it's the too thing light, with too restaurant here. design, the thing with restaurant design is a lot like service. Mm-hmm. You only notice it when it's off. Right, mm-hmm. right. So there's a guy named Greg Walsh who's a restauranter out in Chestnut Hill. And he's written a couple things about you over the years. He's not a big fan. And he had, he had a couple things I want to ask you about because I thought sure. they were interesting points. You can This is what he said. You can only appreciate a restaurant by actually working in one. A writer needs to spend some time working behind the line in a kitchen to understand the labor involved as well as the variables in each meal. Do you think that's true? No. No. Of course not. We all eat in restaurants, and you, you know, as a, as a diner, you sort of ex- appreciate the experience. They're two intuitively, fundamentally different acts. You know, the act of hospitality mm-hmm. and running a restaurant and serving people and creating food is is completely different experience from going out to eat and you know sharing in that experience on the other end. I mean, there's a sort of symbiosis, right? They have to sort of work together, and um, as you know, that is a um, it's like saying, you know, to appreciate a Sixers game, you have to have, like, right. worked in the right. NBA or been a player. Right. It makes no sense. Right. It okay. makes no sense on any other topic. Yeah. None. I can't ice skate. I know the Flyers stink. I don't, yeah. I don't drive for Uber. I know when I've had a horrible Uber ride. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? But like, there I, know is a certain, I know when you're getting one star. You know what I mean? That's a restaurateur who's asking for some empathy or sympathy, you know, to sort of, of understand course. what's going on behind the scenes and... And I think I give more than, than most because I spend so much time, you know, on the phone understanding the details of what goes into something. But ultimately, mm. it has to it has to translate to the dining experience. Mm. Do you um have have you ever come across an item that you didn't want to eat, or are you just like that Andrew Zimmerman who eats the most bizarre food? You'll eat anything. I'll eat anything. Yeah. I'll try anything. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, I remember when Monsu was talking about bringing in the horse meat. 
were you going to give that a shot? If well, you know, that? I lived in France for three years, so I, I, I had overcome the shock of seeing horse butchers down the street. I'm, I'm not in favor of it because, I mean, for, for us as Americans, I, I just don't th- see any need for us to start eating horse. I mean, because we have meat source. Um, but I respect that there are, there are cultures where that, that has been, you know, going on for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I choose not to. Yeah. Do you think we're headed toward, you know, we're seeing more and more people go vegetarian, Greg included. Uh, we're, are you seeing that that's going to change the restaurant scene in the, in the future also with the advent of like fake chicken and fake meat and things like that? I, I think, just wish people yeah. that were vegetarian and vegan would tell us more about it and talk to us more <laughs> about it because they don't tell us enough, you know? Uh, I've been eating <laughs> poultry for the last year and a half. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, we have seen that's that's been one of the major uh, revolutions, I think, in, in in food and dining, and we're we have pioneers of that in Philadelphia with the folks behind Veg and V Street, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the vegan movement uh, with Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby. I mean, they they really pioneered um, that cooking, you know, cooking without animal products, mm-hmm. to the point where you go to a meal and like. It's not like I'm eating a vegan meal. It's just I'm eating like a great meal, and it's vegetable. Mm. And it's all vegetables, or yeah. it's all. So you like vegan, vegan cooking? I like good vegan cooking, good. and this is true of everything. <laughs> this is true of everything. Yeah, veg is phenomenal, and I, and I think you know. Never been. Rich was one of the first vegan cooks who understood that vegan food had to have more than just the the things that classified it as vegan. It had to taste good. Mm. It had to appeal to a wider audience, and. And has inspired generations of chefs. So you go to you go to new restaurants, and there's so much great vegetable cooking going on. How do you maintain health eating all these different greasy things? It's a battle. Night? Yeah, it's yeah. a battle. I exercise as much as I can, and mm-hmm. it's not enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I ride my I ride my bike. You know, I'm a bike commuter. I go to a gym. You know, do what I can. But right, right. It's a it's a it's a losing battle. Yeah, I mean, it's a struggle for... I don't, I'm not a food cricket, and I have that, that battle. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, really hear rough. You. We've been trying to eat healthier, but it's like, man, I just... I like a juicy steak. I like a, a big, fat burger, some pizza. Like, I, I don't know how to... Love pizza. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think I think it's, you know... I can't preach because, because, uh, <laughs> because I struggle with it. But I know it's a matter of finding a place for it, you know, in your week where it's kind of special and it's right, kind of right, right, right. Not an everyday kind of thing. I think because then you enjoy it more. I think so. Yeah, I think you would. And quality over quantity. What kind of impact has the food truck scene had in, on a Philly dining and the Philly food scene? I think it's been tremendous. You know, in in the same way. You know, once again, it's it's another point of entry for young entrepreneurs who are who care about food, who want to do something interesting. Um, and we've gone through these waves of sort of food trucks, and I find it a little hard to keep track of it because you know you have the, all these little pioneers. Like, remember, Honest Tom was like one of the first ones, mm-hmm. and Spot Burger, and all these guys, and Mac Mart, and some of the really great trucks sort of graduate to brick and mortar restaurants. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the so Hawaiian rest, the Hawaiian restaurant was a truck. Oh yeah, Poito. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're one of the great ones. Yeah, and um, and what you've seen is you know improving technology and the better trucks and all this kind of thing, but also uh, you know cities have you know. You have to have curbs to pull up at, and you have to have you know regulations that are food truck friendly. And I I don't feel like Philadelphia has always been as food friendly as a place like uh, food truck friendly as a place like 
Portland, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had, like, for example, Drexel at 33rd and Market was a sort of epicenter of all mm-hmm. the yeah. the sort of cool cool kid new trucks that were showing up with great mm-hmm. concepts because right. um, they were just outside the sort of zone, mm-hmm. the lottery zone that was governed by Penn, mm-hmm. where it took you know years to get a spot. So all the sort of dynamic, interesting stuff. Remember the the Petruco pizza truck mm. uh, was happening. And then, you know, the president of Drexel decided that he didn't like food trucks so much anymore. So they started, you know, writing tickets to everybody. And so that scene has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And you still see a lot of food trucks because, you know, the, the university uh, environment is perfect for that. Mm-hmm. But Center City has not, you know, they have not really opened up you yeah. know, outside of Love Park. You know, when it was open, mm-hmm. they had embraced it. We would get like two trucks a right. day and maybe Frank, Frank I feel, like it's, I feel Frank like it's mostly the small silver truck with just the bacon egg and cheese you know well, right you know the little halal truck stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. I mean you know those are a godsend on you know uh, deadline day right sure quick quick and easy yeah. six bucks five bucks and man that's uh, ours went deal. up to ours went up to six dollars and people were up and armed <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're still getting a bottle of water and a complete meal yeah, it's like, bucks, yeah. I wondered how they I mean honestly I wonder how they can even do that you know for five dollars right you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty it's pretty shocking yeah yeah i mean philly just in general doesn't like people hanging out on the sidewalk like they're terrible about street musicians right like philly should be more of a street music town you know we've got so many talented people who don't necessarily have a place a stage Mm -hmm. to play on but they can play in center city and people can you know start to build a buzz and practice and whatever and philly's always been trying to chase them out everywhere they go i guess the same thing with the food trucks yeah but we have this you know we have this this creative sort of impulse to sort of uh, get out there and have have young young folks getting involved in expressing themselves through food business and it, and it's it's bubbling up. Yeah. So one thing that's obviously changed pretty drastically in the last decade has been the advent of Yelp. Yeah. And is you know thousands of wannabe <laughs> Craig Lebons out there leaving reviews a good thing or a bad thing? The meal started with the. <laughs> <laughs> is it a good thing or a bad thing? It depends who you're asking, right? Sure. Um, for you, how, how is it for the paper? I mean, now, I mean, how, does it dilute some of your I, I don't uh, think impact? so. I, well, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so because we provide something that's really different mm-hmm. uh, from, from Yelp. I mean, you know, before Yelp, there was Zagat. Right. Right. I mean, Zagat was the first sort of user driven, mm-hmm. um, you know, restaurant rating system. And it was it was handy. And I, I, I kind of look at um, Yelp in the same way. For me, it's like a phone book. If I get to a new city... Um, I, I mean, I just want to get the lay of the land real quick, you know, as at the newspaper, we did, you know, and Philly.com, you know, we're, we're not just the Inquirer, you know, we are, we are really a multimedia uh, business and uh, my reviews are, are seen both in print and online by many people. And we, um, it certain, certainly makes us craft our mission in a way that we think we deliver something kind of unique. And, and it's also a challenge to us to sort of reach that generation uh, or that demographic, whoever's using Yelp, mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, critical reviews from, from a consistent sort of understood source um, have, have their own value. And we, we have to present that to people to make sure that they know mm-hmm. know what we've got to offer. Yeah. I used to think he had the, uh, like a dream job, and it sounds horrible. All this eating, like you can, you, can, you, you can't. It's impossible for you to do like a three day, five day cleanse or detox for the most part, right? I, I think about it. <laughs> I, I dream about it. You know, you will never hear me complain about this job. No, no. it is a dream job. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't. I'll never say otherwise. Yeah. But there are definitely, you know, I work hard. 
I really work hard. And yeah. there, I get to the end of the week. And what I want to eat on Saturday for lunch is like, it's either a peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a tuna fish. Right. That's what I want more than anything. <laughs> right. And then the rest of my family's like, we've been staying home all week. We want to go out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's usually, it's usually like, pho, you know, pho is like our, it's like mm. one of our, you know, weekend mm. treats, you know, nice. it's just. Where do you, so where do you like? Where's your favorite faux place? Oh, uh, I have many. I feel like they 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 kind of have like different characters to me. Um, faux seventy five is an old reliable, yeah. old reliable. It's like the purest pho. Sure. And you know, I love I love the pho places that are up on Kensington Avenue. Um, you turned me on to Thang Long. Thang Long. Yeah. Thang Long's about to open up on Gerard mm. Faux House. And then uh, last, uh, but we we head down to South Philly uh, last uh, two weeks ago. I've been going to some of the real small, the smaller storefronts for, for, for smaller Vietnamese restaurants, not on Washington Avenue. Uh, and it really uh, had a great bowl at a place called Pho Ciclo on South Broad Street, right across from uh, the uh, South Philadelphia High School. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the you can tell, like, the broth is just glistening with little beads of rendered beef fat. It's so good. And it, like, coats your lips. Mm. So, like, you get the, the, the essence of the beef, and then you lick your lips, and you get it again. <laughs> nice. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah. So, we're, we're, in, we're doing the, this uh, recording in Chinatown. Where's, oh, where's yeah. your favorite Chinatown place to grab by tea? Everybody asks me, what's your favorite place? And the problem is I know too much. Right. I have so many favorite places yeah. for different things. Um, so, let's, let's get specific. You want to ask me something specific? Okay, noodles. Specific? Yeah, noodles. Oh, okay, noodles. Um, well, I would say um, lately spicy noodles is one of my favorites. You know, they're the shave, the hand-drawn noodle place and the shave noodle spot. And, um, yeah, I love the sort of the theater of taking a lump. They'll take a lump of dough and then the guy will stretch it in the window and he'll go back and forth like a little cat of nine tails. And next thing you know, he's holding like like a pound of spaghetti. <laughs> uh, it's really, it's really amazing and uh so you know then there's the sort of hong kong style noodle places like sanki all right i've got some uh, reader submitted questions oh we'll, boy. Uh, yeah we'll we'll go with this uh, from stevie joe it's friday at 5 p.m the work week is over you've got an hour until your train leaves and 20 bucks in your pocket where in center city are you grabbing two beers does it so does it have to be near the train station uh, we got, got an hour, so yeah, I guess yeah. I got an hour. You got an hour yeah. for so that's train. enough time for one beer at Monks, one really heavy duty beer <laughs> right, at Monks, because right, 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 then yeah. you got to you know trundle all the way back. <laughs> I would say um, uh, you know Oyster House is a, f- a really great place because awesome. then you could just go get your you know sit at the best raw bar in the city, and I love mm. watching Amin and the guys up there, you know, just. Pop those oysters open. Fabulous uh, martini. Mm-hmm. Uh, best my, my best friend's a server there. Shout out to Todd. Oh, awesome. I'm there all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Good a stuff. big Oyster House fan. Yeah, um, you know, he does very well there. I bet he does. It's always busy. <laughs> yeah. What a Philly classic, too. Yeah. You know? yeah, so cool that it came back, mm-hmm. closed down, and then I know right, they right, re, yeah. re reinvented it because that's not easy to do. Once mm-hmm. the thing's done, it's typically done, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, okay, from Bill, do you hold celebrity chefs to a higher standard? Hmm. I think it's you know I I think that um, I hold all chefs to the same standard as far as presenting a restaurant experience, but I do think that there's an added sort of expectation from the diner's perspective that if you know there's a chef out there that's that's really um, 
you know, getting a lot of attention nationally and exciting them, you know, through what's being presented. Um, there's that element. I think they've certainly added the sort of add a, the, the extra layer of expectation onto the dining experience. And again, remember, every restaurant is its own story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people, have their stories have never been told before. And it doesn't mean that, that the restaurant that's like the unknown or mom and pop spot is is less important. Um, just that their story has not, you know, been embedded in people's brains, right. you know, and stoking this expectation. And so, you know, again, I think it's, a, you know, every restaurant is unique. And if a chef has, you know, has national acclaim, um, you cannot help but sort of channel that as part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, you know, if the food's there, um, that is that is has to be commended, and, and I certainly would never begrudge a chef because they won a an on a TV competition. Right. You know, it's an it's an opportunity for them to reach a vast audience. Mm. So again, there's like another layer of expect, you know, another layer I think of responsibility on and pressure on their end mm. to sort of convey convey that story. Yeah. Uh, from Kimberly, what are the qualifications for being a food critic? <laughs> I, I don't think there's a standardized, uh, you know, there's no certificate out there that says you're certified to be a food critic. Um, you know, I landed in this business um, kind of by accident. You know, I had a love of food. I was living overseas. I got a job at a cooking school, mm-hmm. uh, earned a culinary degree, um, mm-hmm. and was just started writing. And I came back to the States. And, there you, go. you know, 20 some years ago, there weren't that many people who <laughs> were this interested in food and you know food and journalism kind of happen at the same time for me now it's a little bit different you know there's so much interest now in food writing i mean there actually there are food writing degrees that you can get so so no yeah i think nyu and some other schools are, are really focusing on food writing but food as a subject of academic study so there are a lot of people i think who are probably a lot better prepared now to sort of enter um, the subject than maybe I was, but what what people don't know, I think often is that this job is ninety um, percent journalism, right? And ten ten or you know ten or fifteen percent subject matter, right? Right. right? So you have to be able to function as a journalist and understand the responsibilities that you have ethically, right? To do this in a way that that you can sustain it, you know, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and earn your readers' trust for sure for you know week in and week out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right, we want to go to the blunt. Wrap it up. Really blunt. Really right. blunt. This All is right. the end of our interview. Every uh, session we do rapid fire questions, quick answers, and then we'll get you uh, on your way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start us off. Do you take criticism well? Yes. Uh, you're a big burger guy. Is there a place in Philadelphia to get a Juicy Lucy? Do you know what that is? A juicy Lucy. Is that a... That's where the gra- cheese is in the middle of the burger. It's specialty in the oh, Midwest. Yeah. Well, the good, well, the good dog. The good yeah. dog burger. Do they have one there? Oh, the good yeah. dog burger was the burger that inspired wow. the haiku that inspired my song that inspired my music video. Okay. All right. Cheeseburger, I, I hold. Uh, yeah. You have a song called Cheeseburger, I hold? Oh, Cheeseburger, yeah. I hold. It's I'm on gonna, YouTube. I'm going to check it it's out. on YouTube? Yep. <laughs> uh, underrated food city outside of Philly. Oh, Underrated foods at Richmond, Virginia. Okay. That's where my sister lives. Yeah. yeah. I got a chance to eat in Richmond a year ago, and I was just really impressed. Mm. Don't pander to him. I do the editing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go Virginia. Uh, 
best comfort food chef in Philadelphia? Uh, Cristina Martinez. The barbacoa lamb tacos is just off the charts. It's it's almost beyond comfort food. You know what man. I mean? Yeah. That, but it is you know channeling the ultimate tradition. You know, and just going as deep as you can go with with a single a single a single uh, specialty, and you just like I taste that lamb and I taste that soup, and and it takes me places. Mm. Do you watch Food Network? And if so, what's your favorite show on there? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Can I ask why? Just, just. I, I, I find it. I, I found like a lot of food television for many years to just be so fluffy and mm-hmm. so, um, you know, taking food out of the context of hospitality, mm-hmm. you know, and real life experiences and turning it into a Com- horse race competition. competition. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think if you sit down and I'm tired and I'll just like watch a competition you'll want to know who wins right and as a food person I, get I do you. get curious to watch people cook <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't find it very satisfying I, I never you. have gotcha. I think food TV's evolved a lot mm. but I don't watch it a lot gotcha is it true that Emerald chased you out of New Orleans no <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> So there was a rumor that he was not a fan of yours, and you guys butted heads, and next thing you knew, you moved to Philly. You know, I never I never formally reviewed Emerald's restaurants, um, but, um, you know, I think people... I was in New Orleans for a, a year and a half, and I actually did this job for a little bit over a year, and, you know, he was such a major force on the scene, um, and I'd heard that he'd paid a private detective to take pictures of me and I heard he shared a picture with some local friends here I mean your job as a restaurant critic is not to be buddies with the people you cover right. so if they don't like me I, maybe I'm doing my job they well they doing what you're supposed to do uh, lions or eagles eagles I'm that's a, the correct answer yeah this yeah. is correct I, I just want to say I am coming from Detroit is a little bit like coming from Philadelphia as a sports fan you're kind of the DNA is read into you. I was born when the Tigers were winning the World Series, but I've now been in Philadelphia for 25 years almost, and I, I, I'm a devout Philly yeah, sports fan. This is your home now. Except for the Flyers. I'm still a Red Wings fan. <laughs> is there any fast food that's good? Yeah. Get, come on. Give me, give me <laughs> one. Give me one out of the big five. If you got you know Wendy's, Burger King, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A. Oh, out of those guys? Yeah, the, no. the, the, the big like, corporate. Like you're on the no. turnpike and you got a rest stop. You're like, please let there be uh, Long John Silver's. Right. Uh, right. I'll eat Taco Bell. Taco Bell. That's my wife's favorite. I'll, tell, I'll eat Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, okay. I totally will eat Taco Bell. Cool. Uh, after food and service, what's the most important thing a restaurant should have? After food and service? Mm-hmm. Quizzo. <laughs> of course. Cheap plug. Food and service. I mean, a great drink program. I mean, you know, but again, you know, we're, we're in a city with, with BYOBs. I mean, it's all about food and service. Um, a space you want to come back to. Okay. A place that you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, service and hosp- this is the sense of hospitality can come from things other than food and service. Um, a sense of place. That's what I think. You, a, a restaurant needs a sense of place. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, all-timer in over two decades in Philly? What's at the top of the list? Favorite restaurant ever? That's got to be difficult. Yeah. Favorite restaurant yeah, like ever? The best meal you've had in Philly, all-timer. Oh, my God. Give us top three. You're going to have to end. Uh, no. no. Sorry, guys. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair no. I know that one's going to be a soundbite. Nope. No. <laughs> uh, I've, I've had so many great meals. Sure. In, different, in different ways. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's the same thing when I, people ask me, what's your favorite? I'd like... 
Can we I'd ask like the opposite? Can we ask you the worst meal that you've had in 21 years? I would say consistently the worst meals that I've had in Philadelphia have been at corporate steakhouses. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, you know, these are high ticket places that get a lot of traffic. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I feel obligated to, to visit many of them. Mm-hmm. And I think the worst meal I ever had was at one called Shula's Steakhouse. Oh, Shula's. Yeah. Yeah. Shula's. It was so funny. They used yeah. to bring you the menu painted on the side of a yeah. football. Yeah. And there's yeah. like... <laughs> They have the, and the it was deflare. They have to have yeah. flare on the walls and yeah. stuff. Just it, it was, garbage. It was, it was so funny. Them? They had the they had one of like the Marriott because yeah. my wife and I stayed there for like our anniversary. We did like a one night staycation, mm-hmm. and we were like, let's get a drink at Shula's just to check it. Let's go to the hotel bar so we feel like we're on vacation, right? We go down to the hotel bar. It is lit up like a cafeteria, yeah, yeah. and the bartender's like nineteen, and he's got his name on a name right, tag on yeah, his shirt, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, he writes, he writes his name upside down backwards <laughs> with a crayon on the little paper butcher right, uh, paper, right, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was yeah. It this was is there. the last one for me. What uh, what do you do to relax on a wine? What's your what's your what's your uh, yeah? We uh, well, currently I'm helping my wife binge uh, Game of Thrones. Best thing ever. Yeah, I'm excited I, for next I've week. Already, oh God, yeah, so excited! Man. I've already I've already my whole family watched this set. My wife and now we're on season six. So nice. She's doing pretty well. She got hooked nice. on. She got hooked. Three, right? three, I made fun of them. I'm like, Dungeons and Dragons bullshit. <laughs> now I'm like. She's doing three a day, but really, uh, we're sports fans in my family. Mm. We we love to watch sports, and I'm a I'm a Michigan graduate, awesome. uh, so I'm a Wolverine. Go cool. blue, cool. and uh, you know, blessing and the curse. Nice. I got family in Ann Arbor and uh, Yip Yipsy uh, Yipsy There you go. Yeah. Did you um, at one point did you wear disguises, and what was your best if so? <laughs> yes. I did. I have. I have a whole box of disguises. I don't wear them very often. Only in only in the extreme situations. Uh, the only time, the most recent time, um, well, when they opened the Borgata, um, and I was reviewing all the restaurants at the Borgata because that was a big deal opening. That was really Jose next. Garces was in there, wasn't no, he? Jose was not in the Borgata. No, he, was was in the rev- he was in the, the Revel. He was in the Revel. And the Borgata um, had I don't know four or five restaurants. So I was visiting, and I was with a a neighbor of mine and uh, we were um, he wanted to go gambling afterwards I was like you know I, I can't do that and he's like because why I was like well you know because I can't I can't spend money gambling in a place that I'm I'm writing about and he says you're so paranoid so anyhow I just I accompanied him and watched him do the slot machines the next week somebody sent me a picture a surveillance picture of me what Standing next to my buddy, he was like, you know, playing the mm. slot machine. So I was like, "See what I'm? I'm, I'm serious. These people are paying attention." And um, wow. so I was like, "But I had to go back." I said, "Well, it's time for the disguise because <laughs> I'm going to go there and I'm going to put on disguise." And I had, I just went all out, and it's like they called it the Wayne's World wig oh, and I yeah. had a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I had a new walk, I had everything, and. Um, <laughs> People kept calling me Tiny Tim as I was walking through the road. Strangers? Yeah, I mean, like, but you know, that's the cool thing about Atlantic City because everybody looks so weird in Atlantic right, City. Right, right, right. You could wear anything, anything you want. Right. And they just figured you're just a degenerate gambler. Just, yeah, you know, you know I mean? but the wig, it just kept riding on my head and I kept having to pull it down. And, you know, I have, you know, prosthetic, uh, you know, beards and things like that. And mm. uh, Are you in disguise right now? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think I'd come meet a bunch of suspect characters like yourself that take precautions? 
All right. Well, this was uh, this was awesome. This thank was so you, much man. Thanks for your time, man. Great. You were incredible. Yeah. Great interview, man. Thanks for having Very me. Very insightful. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank uh, everybody for listening. If you enjoy, please subscribe. Please rate us. And uh, we'll see you again soon. We want to thank, I think we can say where we are since we're not live, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we were at uh, Hop Sing. Real quick, what, what made you choose Hop Sing for where you wanted to do the interview? Because it was two blocks from my office. There you go. Because <laughs> the owner just won't stop texting me. Right, right. Oh, there he is. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Lee at Hop Singh, and thanks, uh, thanks so much, Greg, for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor. Oh, yeah, thanks, man. I'll see you soon. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Yo, yo. Welcome to the home of brotherly love. Brothers covered in blood. The man's office is covered in bugs. The youth dreams cut short. Swept